First Peter chapter five, we're going to look at verses five to seven and Luke chapter 18 and John 13. All right. Everybody awake here this morning? All right. You guys going to read, uh, read with me. First Peter chapter five, verse five. Matter of fact, the teenagers in particular, the youth. Let's read this one together. Nice and loud. First Peter five, five. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. <clears throat> Parents, you're welcome. <clears throat> I thought about making that the family memory verse. So you could be like, hey, what was that family memory verse again? Interesting, though, for me, you know, you guys could be different, but for me, this verse never jumped out at me when I was a kid. It wasn't like awesome. But now I think this is an awesome verse. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. We've seen this word submit a few times in this book. How many of you have been with us during First Peter? You remember this dirty word, submit. Right? It's not a popular word in today's culture, but Peter goes there and he, and he throws us under the bus of submission, if you will. I think it was back in chapter 2. You may remember, first he says, hey, I want you to, the Lord wants you to submit to government, even a bad one. And then he goes on in that chapter and says, employees, you said slaves back then, but in our culture it would be employees, I want you to submit to bosses, even if they're crooked. And then he says, daring where most men fear to tread, I want you wives to submit to your husbands, even the dumb ones. No looking around, no looking around. And then he says, though, to the husbands, look, I want you to show submission to your wife this way, by loving her according to your knowledge of her, by treating her with respect, by trying to understand her, by treating her as an equal, lest your prayers be hindered, is what Peter said. Well, so there's this whole submission thing, which means to place under, it's hupotasso, it means to... Place yourself under the authority of another. Um, well, now, First Peter 5, 5, Peter now throws the younger people under the submission bus. Hupotasso. It's a military word. It uh, means to arrange in a military fashion under the command of a leader. But in non-military use, it means this. A voluntary attitude of giving in, of cooperating, of assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. If you're taking notes today, if you want to have an outline, uh, you're going to have some C's. The, the first C would be cooperate with one another. It means to, this word submit means to put yourself under, willingly that is, under the authority of another. And Peter is not fuzzy in verse 5. You see it? Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. So that means younger people submit, that is cooperate with older people. And that means, of course, kids are to submit to their parents unless they're telling you to do something that is directly against what God is telling you to do. Right? That's how submission works. But perhaps you're here this morning and going, finally, I'm going to give it to those youngsters, whippersnappers. If you're going, yeah, I'm the one in authority and it's about time that you said something about it. Before you go engraving this on someone else's forehead... 
Read on. Because Peter says, likewise, you younger people, submit to your, to your elders. And then he says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. That word all in the Greek still means all. <laughs> Everyone. And actually it means each and every. So in case you thought, you know, you, you got missed, passed over in the glossiness of the word all. No, he means each and every one of us are to be submissive, it says, to one another. And, and see the word likewise there in verse 5, the very first word. Likewise is kind of like that word therefore. When you see likewise, you're going, okay, there must be something that it's referring to previously, right? See if you can figure it out with me. Where he's going when he says the word likewise. Why is the word likewise necessary? Well, Peter is speaking in verses 1 to 5 to the leaders of the church. Or, and, and we mentioned, you know, he's probably talking to leaders of any kind. You know, leaders in the home, leaders in, uh, in the workplace, but especially the leaders in the church. Peter says, look in verse 2. He says to them, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers. That word actually means to look after. He's saying look after the sheep that are around you. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by, what's it say, not by compulsion, but willingly. That is, with the right attitude, not forced, but freely. And he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. That is, not for a payoff, what's in it for me, but with a passion. And then he says, look at this, verse 3 nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The last thing that we mentioned on Thursday was basically this. Look, leadership done the biblical way is the furthest thing from a power chip. It's a prototype. That's what he says. Look, not being lords over those entrusted you, not lording it over them, but being an example, a prototype. So then, what can we figure out from the word likewise? Verse 5 is because Peter has already thrown the elders of the church under the submission bus. You see it? He's already said to the elders, you guys need to be humble. You need to be thinking more of other people than of yourself. Peter, uh, Jesus was very clear, Peter also, that leadership is not lordship. Leadership is leader. Ship. That's being the first one into the land, as the lamb to the slaughter. Right? Leadership by example. You don't drive the flock. You lead by example. Matter of fact, we mentioned that, uh, remember James and John's, uh, the, the, the apostles, remember their power grab? Right? When they love this tactic, they go to their mom and say... <laughs> Hey, can you get him to have us be second and third in the kingdom? <laughs> it's just wrong. It's wrong. Right after this power grab, the other disciples get upset. And Jesus says to them, look, let me sit you guys down. In the world, in the Gentiles, the way they do leadership is this. They lord it over those. He says, but not in my kingdom. He says, the way it's going to be in my kingdom is the leaders are going to be the most hupotasso. Those who place themselves under others. He says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So, in verse 5, you could say, The submission bus runs over the youth, <laughs> and then it turns around and it runs over the rest of us. 
Because he says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another, placing yourselves lower than the other. He's saying every single one of you defer to one another to think yourself lower than the other. Now, of course, practically that is, it has to, it's going to look different with uh, elders and youngers, uh, with leaders and followers, right? God is not calling us to abdicate our responsibility to lead, no. But I think this is safe to say, humility is a required virtue in God's economy. Especially if you consider yourself or want to be a leader. Humility is like job one. So, again, he's not saying, look, I want you to abdicate your responsibilities. But he is saying, are you humble in the way you are uh, performing your responsibilities, your, your leadership? And I got to thinking, you know, probably a really great probing question for the crowd here this morning. Because he's talking about leadership. He's talking about submission. Some of you are leaders over homes, right? Some of you are probably, no doubt, leaders in the the workplace. Some of you are leaders in the church. Wherever you find yourself in leadership, let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you said, I'm sorry, I blew it? When was the last time that you said, even to those whom you lead, I blew it? When was the last time as a parent, maybe, that you said, wow, sorry, son, I, you know what? I really shouldn't have said it that way. I shouldn't have done it this way. Whatever it is. You guys remember that phrase back, I think, in the 70s, maybe? Yes, I remember the 70s. You probably didn't think so. No. Oh. Remember that phrase? Love means never having to say you're sorry. That's really bad theology. Really super bad theology. Listen, love means always having to say you're sorry. Husbands, can I get an amen? amen. Yes. <laughs> Listen, that is, that is what love does. It says, you know what? I was wrong. I blew it. Some people, some people think that leadership means never having to say you're sorry. Never showing any sign of weakness that you might have not figured that one out, that you might have uh, not done that perfectly. Listen, that's the way of the world. When they say, never let them see you sweat, never let them see any crack in the armor. No, that's the way of the world. When you blow it, whether it's as a parent or a leadership in your, your business, whatever it is, say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's what we call leading by example. How can we expect our kids ever to, to learn to say, I'm sorry I blew it, if they never see it modeled in us? Now, I'm not telling you to manufacture stuff, but if you're like me, there's stuff that comes up. Yeah, I, I, need, to, I need to ask my five-year-old. I have asked my five-year-old, you know what? Daddy didn't do that the right way. Will you forgive me? And he gets it. He's like, okay, this is what we do. So the overall concept here is hupotasso, placing yourself under another. Right Now, as a leader, you place yourself under that you might help them to grow. Right. So the, the words that begin with C that you might be thinking about here, cooperating, whether you're a leader or, or not, are you cooperating? Are you correctable? Or in your position of authority, no one dares correct you. 
are you courteous? So, first of all, Peter says to all of you, sorry, we're all run over by the submission bus. Be courteous, be correctable, be cooperative. Okay, verse five again. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. I just wanted to say it again. I like that. <clears throat> then he says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And here's your second C. If you're taking notes, your second C is be clothed with humility. Clothed with humility. The word humility there literally means it's a compound word and it means to be low to the ground minded. So it's to have your mind thinking in terms of low to the ground. He says, be clothed with humility. This word clothed, I I find it fascinating because it's the only place in all of the Bible that you will find this word. It's a very specific word uh, that refers to something very specific that we'll discover is in Peter's past. The word clothed. Listen. It's the white scarf or apron of slaves which was fastened to the belt of the vest and distinguished slaves from free men. What do you think Peter's thinking about? John 13, turn there with me. John 13, no doubt Peter is being reminded, flashback time, to that night, the night before Jesus was crucified, the same night that he was betrayed by someone that's sitting at the same table with him, That's the night that we're talking about in John 13. Just to remind you again, it doesn't say it here, but we know from the other Gospels. At this, the Last Supper, right, where you see, you know, you see the painting and everybody looks all majestic and all that. They were arguing. They were fighting. And what was it about? Hmm. Chances are it was about who will be the greatest. These guys are always arguing about this. And the Last Supper is no exception. Okay. That's the context. Jesus, uh, is just about ready to, uh, to go and die. John 13, verse 3. Look at this. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God. Stop there. It says that he knew all things were in his hand, that he had all authority, right? That there's nothing that he can't do if he wants to. All things are in his hand. He knows he's from God. He knows he's going to God. So that means Jesus had full awareness of all of the authority that he possesses. Now look at verse 4. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel. There's your word. Took a towel and girded himself. This is the picture that Peter's remembering. Verse 5. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. Y'all, this is the lowest possible job back in that culture. Only the lowest servant would get the job. Like, okay, there's the towel. Great. It's my turn. I have to be the guy that washes everybody's stinking feet. I imagine, you know, you're a slave, you're new to the, the community, you're the, the new hire, a rookie in the household, and the, the previous rookie runs to you and goes, here's a towel, good luck. <laughs> it's the lowest job. And here Jesus is, uh, let's do the math, the Lord of all, the creator of all things. He knows that all things is in his possession. He's, it says, clothing himself with humility. 
Anybody see any applications here? How many people want to be like Jesus? I do. I hope you do. How many of you want to be like Jesus no matter what position you think you hold? Okay? Wash some feet. You want to be like Jesus? Wash some feet. Make yourself lowly. Now, when I say wash your feet, I don't necessarily mean physically at Publix. You might, might get arrested. But what he's saying is, look, do the lowly thing. Do the lowly job. Take the lowly position. Defer to others. Take the, the lowest job, the one that's beneath all of the other folks that are vying for pole position. That's exactly what Jesus did. They're all arguing and he's like, <clears throat> hold on, I've got to do something. He starts washing their feet. Their creator. Well, the disciples were astonished. Uh, Look, John 13, verse 12. It says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, I wonder how long that silence was, too. (laughs) They've been arguing, and he's doing this humble thing. Just silence. Puts his clothes back on. Sits down. Okay, guys. Do you know what I have done to you? They're probably thinking, you mean besides school does in humility? <laughs> right here, you know, without a word? Verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, we both agree on that, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For he says, I've given you an example. Isn't that interesting? We just learned leadership is not by coercion, but by example. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. In other words, Jesus saying, look, if I am not too great to serve you and to wash your feet, then there's no job that's beneath you. If you know these things, he says, blessed are you if you, does it say, think about them or are impressed by them or say to yourself, yeah, that's a really good principle. I should try that sometime. No, you know these things, you are blessed or happy if you do them. Okay, back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Peter's going on about this submission, this lowly mindedness, and he says, be clothed with humility. Now think about that illustration for a second. It says to be clothed. That means then you put on clothes, right? So he's telling us to put on humility. Now obviously, that doesn't mean put on a fake humility. Matter of fact, there's nothing tackier or uglier than false humility. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, yeah, I'm just not very good. Kind of like, come on, somebody correct me, please. Nothing uglier than that, than a false put on humility. But, this does say to put on. Doesn't that imply then a conscious decision? Right? Like putting on clothes. I dare say that none of you this morning, you woke up and poof, your clothes materialized on you. No? Okay. You made the conscious decision to clothe yourself. And thank you for that, by the way. Clothing yourself is a a choice, right? Clothing yourself with humility then is a choice. 
is something you have to consciously do. And here's the deal. Because pride does seem to materialize by itself on you, this is a choice you have to make over and over again. You have to go to the closet every couple of minutes maybe. Okay, I'm going to put on humility again, right? Some of you know I sing with a group. And um, at Christmas time, we sang at SeaWorld. Whenever we do our Christmas songs, uh, Sammy, one of the other guys, he gets up, you know, we do little spiels between songs. And he says, uh, he's introducing, uh, here comes Santa Claus. And the idea is, you know, he's coming to reward the good and, you know, give coal to the bad. Right? So he says, um, okay, everybody raise your hand if you were good this year. Woo! Okay, pretend you guys are the people. You know, you don't have to be all spiritual. Just, hey, who was good this year? Woo! Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for humoring me. And, uh, and then I say, I jump in, I go, awesome. Okay, now, all the good looking people, raise your hand. And then some do. <laughs> and then I go, okay, now all of the humble people, raise your hand. And, right? I'm like, awkward, but it's fun. Here's the point is that, that pride comes easy, right? But humility is something that you have to work at because this, this humble thing is so tricky. In case you don't know what I mean, how many of you would say, hey, I've got the humble thing down? You can't. As soon as you do, no, I don't. The humble thing is very, very tricky. So he says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. That's low to the ground thinking. Okay? And here's why. This is awesome. Look at this. It says, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I got three C's, or yeah, two C's for you, and here's the third one. The first uh, was to cooperate with one another, no matter who you are. The second is to be clothed with humility, make that conscious choice. Here's your third C, guys. He talks about now the consequences of pride versus the consequences of humility. <coughs> you interested? It says, God resists the proud, there's a consequence, but gives grace to the humble. There's another consequence. The word proud. It means this. Showing oneself above others. Overtopping. A conspicuous being above others. To be preeminent. To seek the highest, uh, you know, the best seats in the house, Jesus would say. It's the idea that, well, I'm, I'm better than that person or I'm better than these folks. And you know what? I kind of don't mind people knowing that I'm better. That's the idea. Peter says... Okay, there's a consequence with that high-minded thinking. You know what it is? That God resists the proud. And if you look in the Greek, the word resist, if you're proud, this is not your friend. The word resist is much worse than it looks in English. The word resist is antitasso, and it means to draw up for battle against. Then the word basically is saying, if you are prideful, if you are looking down on others, thinking, making yourself feel better by looking at others and going, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm much better than that. If you're doing those things, this verse indicates that God not just resists you, but he's drawn up in battle against you. This is a sobering thought. You all know, hopefully, the Bible is very clear. God promises never to leave you nor forsake you, right? That's awesome. 
But do you realize that though he never leaves you nor forsake you, he could be resisting you? He could be drawn up for battle against you? The Bible says if you are proud, if you're thinking more of yourself than others, according to this text, that's exactly what he's doing. He's rolling up his sleeves, as it were. And have you thought about this? This is the God of the universe who created you. Are you sure you want to pick a fight with him? He's showing me uh, through, through my, my study... I mean, I'm in Leviticus, actually just left. Um, but in Leviticus 26, I just want to share some things I learned with you. Remember that we have a God who loves you dearly. He loves you as sons and daughters, right? He will never leave you, nor forsake you. But he will resist you if you need resisting. I have that picture again of, of a really big man holding his hand out and the, the little guy trying to fight him, right? I'll just let you wear yourself out. For a while. Here's my point. He's not one that you want to pick a fight with. I promise you. If you don't believe me, don't turn there now, but turn, uh, you can uh, put, write this down. Check out Leviticus 26. It is scary. Well, it's awesome, and then it's scary, and then it's awesome again. Here's what I mean. Leviticus 26. God starts out by promising to, to the children of Israel. He says, look. If you will walk in my statutes, I promise you good stuff, protection, prosperity, victory, plenty, freedom, deliverance. But if you don't, boom, boom, boom. He says, I promise you, you'll have terror from your enemies. You'll have disease, sorrow, failure, defeat. Subjection to your enemies. You'll have paranoia. And then he goes on a few verses in in chapter 26 of Leviticus. And he says, Then, if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on seven times more plagues according to your sins. Then he goes on a little bit. And three verses later he says, And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times more. For your sins. And then in verse 27, and after all this, if you do not obey me but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. I don't know if you've noticed it, but my point is this this is not a God you want to pick a fight with. Lest I leave you there, though verse 40 of this same chapter is awesome because it reminds us he is always ready to receive repentant hearts. Verse 40 says, But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that they also have walked contrary to me, I will remember my covenant with them. Then a few verses later he says, Yet for all of that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. You see what he's saying? Look, guys, if you've given your life to him, he will not leave you nor forsake you. But if you resist him, he is prepared to go to battle. And like a good father, he will not lose that war. Do you get it? 
And when we have pride, when we think highly of ourselves, when we look down on others, when we treat others as our servants rather than the other way around, when we come not to serve but to be served, this says that God is ready to go to battle with us. And again, he told me very clearly in in this chapter, look, I'm not going to lose that war. See, he says, I love you too much to let you destroy your own life and those around you. So that's one choice. That's one consequence, right? If you choose the pathway of pride. But remember the rest of this verse. First Peter chapter 5 says, look, there's another choice. There's the consequence, as it were, of walking humbly. Right? It says, for he... Uh, brings himself up in battle, that is, against those who are prideful, but he says, but he, what, gives grace to those who walk in humility. See, you have the consequence of pride, the consequence of humility. One way to put it, as just as stubborn as God is in resisting the proud, he's also absolutely faithful to give grace that is, unmerited favor to those who are humble, even if they don't deserve it. Turn with me to Luke 18, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Luke 18, verse 9. We have this, this comparison, right, between the proud and the humble and the consequences. Look at this. Jesus uh, states it perfectly. Luke 18, verse 9. And he spoke this parable. So Jesus speaks this parable, says, guys, listen up. i got a story for you. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. He says, let me tell you a story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. You guys know the Pharisees, they were the big dogs. They were the ones who had it all together, right? If at, they just were perfect in nearly every way. Just ask them. Those were the Pharisees. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. We still say, boo, tax collector. Right? There's the exalted and the low. He says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and it says, Prayed thus with himself. <laughs> he thought he was praying to God, but in fact, he was just praying to himself, his own God, I guess. Prayed thus with himself God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as, oh, well, look. <laughs> As luck would have it, here's a filthy sinner right here that I'm not like, a tax collector. Verse 12, I I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Aren't you impressed with me? And the tax collector, though, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What were the consequences of those two prayers? Verse 14, I tell you, This man, the one who confessed his lowliness, his sin. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself, there it is, will be what? Humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. The way up is down. There's so many paradoxes in the Christian walk, are there not? This is one of them. Jesus says, if you want to go up, you need to go down. Now, question, did the tax collector deserve such forgiveness? No, that's why it's called grace. 
unmerited favor. That's unmerited favor given to a humble sinner. So the choice is ours, guys, right? Do you want God to resist you? Or do you want to receive grace? I think I know the answer. I'll answer it for you. First Peter chapter 5, go on verse 6. Here's your, your next C. If you want grace, choose the lowly path. He says, verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. The mighty hand of God, that was an awesome phrase that you'll first find in the Exodus. Um, after they were delivered, so often they sang these songs and it said, We've been delivered by the mighty hand of God. Now, doesn't that totally make sense? Because all of this about humility... Do you know that, that God looked down at the children of Israel and went, okay, they're slaves. They're broken. They're persecuted. That's the kind of thing that the Lord loves to rescue. Right? God delights in rescuing the oppressed, the slaves, the humble. The idea is that God loves the poor, the helpless, the weak, the needy, even the sinner, especially the sinner, if he knows that he's all those things. That's when you get the mighty hand of God ready to deliver you. Again, if you go lower, he'll lift you up. That's what it says. Verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Another way to, to phrase this. Look, if you'll humble yourself, God won't have to. I'd rather humble myself than have to have God humble me. There's a story about uh, James Quick Tillis. He was a boxer, uh, cowboy from Oklahoma, but he, he went to the big city, Chicago. Like, okay, I'm going to make a name for myself, a big career. The story goes that he had two, just two cardboard suitcases, all that he owned, uh, and he's on this bus, right? But he's like, he's confident. He gets off the bus, and he looks up at the Sears Tower there in Chicago and says, all right, this is it. This is my chance. He puts the suitcase down looks up and says, that's awesome. All right, I'm going to conquer Chicago. He looked down, his suitcases were gone. God has a way of humbling the exalted and exalting the humble. Matter of fact, if you need one more illustration, you're like, no, we, we just need to get to lunch. Um, hopefully you need one more illustration. Here it is. And this is, this is a powerful one. God has a way of humbling the exalted and exalted, exalting the hum, humble. What better example than Lucifer and Jesus. Isaiah 14, verses 12 and 13, says about Lucifer, this exalted, glorious, created being, angel. Verse 12 says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? It says, Son of the morning. You used to be called the son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, listen, this is what he said before the fall, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. And then when he gets thrown down, then he infects the whole human race with that same attitude. What did, what did Eve, what was so appealing about it? Well, you'll be like God. Y'all, it's wicked. Pride is wicked. And, and the result every time is that God will cast you down. Compare that, though, to Jesus. 
my favorite portion of Scripture, Philippians 2. Some of you may be like, okay, all right, we get it. Philippians 2. What is it? That Jesus, though he's equal with God the Father, takes on the form of a bondservant, that is, puts on the clothes of a bondservant, and he humbles himself, coming in the likeness of men, right? He humbles himself. He goes lower. It says he becomes obedient. He goes lower. He, he becomes obedient even to the point of death. He goes lower. And even the death of the cross, the worst ignominious death you can suffer. He went lower and lower and lower and lower until you get to Philippians 2 verse 9. Where he's exalted. It says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth that covers most of it, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see the pattern? Lucifer exalted himself. He gets cast down. Jesus, though he didn't need to, humbles himself. And he's exalted. There's no better example of how God loves and rewards humility. Verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Just before we, we, we close here, um, let me ask you that very pointed question, I guess. Are you clothed in humility this morning? Or are you ready for a wardrobe change? Or is God going to have to do it for you? Uh, those are kind of your choices. Okay? Um, Verse 7, we don't really have time to fully exposit, but I wanted to keep it in here because, again, the Lord has different people in different stages of your life, different stuff going on, and I think maybe verse 7 you need to hear as well. Look at it real quick. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. To cast means to throw upon. It's the same word they used uh, for the blankets when they threw the blankets upon the donkey, upon the colt for Jesus' uh, triumphal entry. So he says, throw your cares upon him. He's got big shoulders. Now this, the reason I want to share this, because this was brand new to me, and, and I hope it helps you. How many worriers do we have in the room? I'm a recovering worrier. Okay? I'm doing better. I think if you knew me 15 years ago, and you, and you knew me now, I think you would testify, yeah, he talks about dying a lot less than he used to. <laughs> talks about cancer a lot less than he used to. Okay? I'm a recovering worrier. But this really struck me where it says casting all your care. That word is anxiety upon him, okay? It says, look, you're supposed to cast all of your anxiety because he cares for you. One of the things, if you're a worrier, that, that may help you, I started to finally turn around for me when I went, oh, I didn't realize. Worry is a sin. It's a sin. We're commanded not to do it. In a weird way, that helped me. Like, okay, well, if it's a sin, that means I don't have to do it, right? I'm not, I'm not just wired this way. It's something that, that can be worked on, overcome, okay? But here's the thing. Up until this week, I thought worry was just a sin because God said it was a sin. It is, but I was like, well, I don't understand. Why, why is worry a sin? What's it, what's it hurting, right? And you guys are probably smarter than me, but that's what I was thinking, then I discovered this, Luke 8, 14. Every time you see where Jesus gives the, the parable of the sower, he says, look, there was a sower that went out to seed, uh, to, to sow seed, right? Um, and he's talking about the word and how it has effect in our lives. And uh, Luke 8, 14, he says, uh, for instance, he says, now the ones that fell among thorns, the seeds that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard it, they go out and are choked with cares, 
riches and pleasures of this life and bringing no fruit to maturity. I thought that meant that people, you know, they they get materialistic and they, they just don't care about the things of God anymore. No, the word care is the same as anxiety in our text. And then it clicked. This is why you call worry a sin, God. Because it chokes out the word. It kills off the fruit. It stunts spiritual growth. So maybe you've never had it put that way before for you. If you're a worrier, battle against it. The way you do that is to cast your cares, just like putting on the clothing of humility. You might have to do it once a minute for a while. Cast your cares upon Him. And then lastly, let me just challenge you. If you're a worrier, the last few words. Hopefully you you are here because you believe the Bible is true, right? Well, look at those last few words and make sure you believe them. For He cares for you. Saying, cast your care upon Him because He cares for you. He's paying attention. He knows what you're going through. He knows all of it. He's working it all out. Romans 8.28 says, for your good. So, do you believe it or not? Okay? Let's pray. We love you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for these saints. Thank you for the applications, Lord, that you give us. ask that you'd help us to to, uh, respond to you, Lord, the way that you want us to. We love you and ask that you would just guide us now in this time. We don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers of your word in Jesus' name.